Thanks for taking time out of your day to join us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to have strategies, to have ideas where you can hold on to every dollar you've got. And that's what we're doing here on our show. And that's what we're doing at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com. We're in a situation now where we have 30 million plus Americans unemployed. It's a hideous number. And the one hopeful thing is it's not going to stay ugly for an extremely long period of time, but it's brutal if you're experiencing it. At the same time, the overwhelming majority of people who are still working, who still have their jobs, somewhere around uh, probably 82, 83% of people, and many of those jobs are more or less secure. So this is going to sound weird, but people are starting to ask me about what do they do for summer vacation? Because we're just weeks away from when a lot of kids will be out of school and people are going to want to get out and about. They've got itchy feet after being locked up, particularly if they have kids. They've been locked up for a long, long time with kids being at home. And people are going to want to get away. As a practical matter, how people get away this summer It's going to be very, very different. Um, One of the businesses in the United States that's been devastated is Airbnb. But I believe a lot of Airbnb properties in the U.S. are going to have a strong comeback in the latter half of May and through August. And the reason is a lot of people are going to want to go on a vacation They're going to want to drive and not fly. My goodness, I just saw new numbers. Southwest Airlines only filled 6% of its seats in the last month with most of their planes parked. That means the small number of flights they were operating still only had 6 out of every 100 seats filled. People don't have confidence that it's safe to get on an airplane right now. So we're going to get in vehicles. And we're going to drive somewhere and people are going to feel more comfortable renting somebody else's place for a week than they are staying in a hotel where they don't know who's been there and you have to pass other people and all that. So I think that this is going to be the first good news in a while for Airbnb hosts. And I think it's going to be something that's going to be part of how people get out and about and feel comfortable going to the beach, going to the mountains, going wherever, uh, everywhere but big cities. People are not going to travel to big cities. And I think you're going to see that people renting RVs is going to be a really preferred way of doing things. So I think we're going to quickly hit uh, maximum demand on RVs and there will be shortages of them as we go through the summer vacation season because that's how people are going to feel comfortable going to get away and you'll find that a lot of areas that have a combination of state and national parks that you're going to find that in areas where there are state parks that are adjacent to national parks the state parks will be less crowded 
than the national parks. If you want to still continue to have your own space, when you're looking at a place you're thinking of going, if it isn't a park, look at what obscure, unknown state parks are nearby. And that'll be a way for you to have more potential isolation from others. But we are going to continue to find that we modify how we get away from it all. You know, the idea of being afraid of going to do certain kinds of travel, that takes all the joy out of it. Because travel is about escaping regular life. And that's why I think people are going to be the most comfortable doing vacations on the open road. And, you know, the the low gas prices we've seen are going to remain in place through the summer vacation season. So what you're going to have to pay for fuel will be cheaper. And I do want to tell you this, though. If you do think about my idea of booking a place to rent for a vacation, you got to make sure you're comfortable with whatever the policy is, let's say with an Airbnb host, for you booking if later conditions with coronavirus make it uncomfortable for you to go or you surprisingly lose a job you thought was secure and you can't spend that money, you want to know that you have um, a booking that you have the ability to cancel without too much hit to your wallet versus one that has a strict cancellation policy where you would lose all your money. And we're alternating with questions that you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel asking those questions, and Kim is up first. Hi, Clark. I actually wanted to touch on the Airbnb thing that you were just talking about. Yesterday, I was playing around on their website looking for something maybe in July, just fantasizing about normal life. And they have a new filter that you can click, um, which is things that are only 100% refundable. So if you click that, that's all you'll see is things that will give you all of your money back up to like two weeks prior. Fantastic. Thank you. Sure. All right. Up first today is Carol. She says, my husband and I both turned 65 this year. We have not started social security and we did not plan to until we were 70. However, with the impact of coronavirus in people, especially close to our age, we're wondering if waiting now isn't the best choice. You never know when something's going to happen. What do you suggest? You know, the reason a lot of times people take Social Security earlier rather than later is because they do worry about their own mortality. So you really don't see the huge benefit of delaying unless you do live uh, a decent lifespan after you would start taking Social Security. So if you fear for your own longevity, then logically it would make sense for you to take Social Security earlier rather than later. On the other hand, if you are turning 65 and neither of you have significant pre-existing conditions, the people who've been most at risk with coronavirus have been people who've had one or more pre-existing condition. And age alone, although it increases the mortality risk, it really has been combination of age with pre-existing conditions. If both of you are healthy, 
I would not make a change in when you take Social Security simply because of coronavirus. Joel? Uh, Clark John says, I have a Chromebook for my investment accounts, but how do you feel about using one of the brokerage apps on your cell phone? I'm assuming that not being on a free or hotel Wi-Fi signal is obviously best when you're doing that, though. Definitely. So using an app from a financial institution as a way to access them on your phone is great because the reality is once you're using their own app, the burden of security falls to them, not you. And so I am really comfortable using any brokerage house or financial institution's app as a way to access, and it is my preferred way to do so, and I think you can use that in comfort. What you said about not using Wi-Fi is very smart. Never use any public Wi-Fi when you're doing anything sensitive, anything involving financial sites, anything involving password, where the password protection is really important, like your own email, opening up your email at a public Wi-Fi spot is very risky. Kim? Jerry says, I believe you said that I could pull out $100,000 from my 401k without fees or taxes this year. Would that still apply if I put that money directly into a Roth IRA? So it's not that you don't pay taxes. It's that you um, can spread the tax bill over three years and you don't pay the 10% penalty. You can move money from a 401k to a Roth, but you'd still owe the tax. So nothing changes about that with the tax. And you bring up a very interesting wrinkle because with a withdrawal from a 401k under the coronavirus rules, you can spread the tax over three years that you would owe. So you could go ahead and put the money into a Roth and then have a three-year period instead of all in one tax year having to pay all the taxes that you would owe. And it's funny, I haven't thought about that, but you hit me with a really interesting concept right there. It really only works, though, if you're in a position that you can afford to pay the tax on $100,000, not using any of that $100,000 to pay the tax. So that's a very unusual situation that someone would have enough cash sitting around in savings that they could absorb that tax bill over three years and be able to move the 100000 Joel? Clark Guerin says, is now a good time to take out a home equity loan? We live well below our means in a house that's worth about $85,000 with an annual income of about $140,000. So if we did that, where should we look to borrow from and what would be an appropriate amount and term to take this loan out to remodel our basement? So doing a home equity loan, the terms and conditions are not as good as they are with a mortgage. The rates tend to be higher but you get a fixed rate for 5, 10, or 15 years. And because you've got equity in the home that you can tap, doing the home equity loan works very well if you can pay the money back in 5 years and 60 months. The reason that term is very important is that with where interest rates are today 
and how lenders calculate risk, you get a much better deal on a home equity loan that you take out for five years versus one that you take out for 10 or 15. A home equity loan with a fixed rate over 15 years tends to have a pretty high rate on it because it means that somebody is having to take out the money for a very long period of time, meaning the lender faces a higher default rate, and it is a loan that tends to potentially end up in foreclosure at a much, much higher rate than a five-year home equity loan. Kim? Daphne says, all of the credit cards I have now have the ability to monitor your credit score. Is this a good thing or a bad thing? If I was to continually check my credit score through my credit card, is that creating any sort of a soft pull or a hard pull? No, it doesn't hurt you at all on your score. You're allowed to check that free score provided by your credit card companies whenever you wish. Some of those scores you see from a credit card company are going to be what are known as Vantage scores, which I call um, fake FICO scores. A real FICO score is what most lenders use, but even the FICO, the Vantage score, is very helpful for you to see pattern and trends with your credit. Check those as often as you like. The reason this came about, Discover started this, is all the credit card companies check your credit every month. And Discover was like, hey, we're already spending the money for this. Why don't we turn this into a consumer benefit for our card members? And they started making availability of your score free. And then one by one, other credit card companies did as well. So it gives you the ability to check up on how you're doing for free whenever. You could also sign up for Credit Karma, which is a great way for you to track your credit and see how you're doing and is also free. I want to start today's Clark Rave, our positive segment in the midst of heavy information and news with a thing that was sent to me by a listener named Chad in North Carolina. He sent me something about a nine-year-old who is named CJ. CJ is running 100 miles in 30 days. And why is he doing this? He's running it in a pledge drive to get people to donate 50 cents per mile between now and May 19th. The money goes towards a charity that's providing food to people that are unemployed and helping them with housing assistance. And this young nine-year-old has already raised thousands of dollars to help out those who have been impacted by coronavirus two grand at this point and by the time he's done i bet he's going to come up with quite a bit more now here's another cool thing this is about a woman who every time somebody makes any kind of delivery to them she leaves them a security face mask actually three and she asks the delivery drivers of any kind when they show up at her house to grab one of the masks and she has a nest camera and it's been so fun for her to see people's responses when a delivery driver comes because we know we have this massive shortage of masks in the united states her masks are all pig themed don't know why the pig theme, 
but Marcy is doing them that way and doing what she can to see that the people that are out and about doing deliveries to us are safe as they go about every single day. So that makes me think about how important it is that we see to it that everybody who's out there making sure that we get the food and medical supplies we need and all that, that we need to redouble efforts to see that all of them are properly and safely equipped with gloves that they need, masks that they need, so that they can be safe keeping us safe, fed, and having the medicines we need. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our hardworking teams at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com are helping you stretch every dollar you've got. Now, as businesses think through how they're going to reopen or how they modify for coronavirus, one community in the United States has been devastated more than any other major metro area by coronavirus, and that's Las Vegas. Las Vegas is a ghost town, at least the strip that tourists are familiar with. And the cost to the economy in Nevada of the casinos being closed in Las Vegas and Reno has been enormous. And the recovery is going to be very difficult. So if you think about Las Vegas, it's the opposite of what I was talking about moments ago about people going on vacation for the summer, looking for places where they're not going to have to worry about being around too many other people. They're not going to worry so much about the possibility of contracting coronavirus. Well, think about what that's like for Las Vegas. So there was a story in the Reno Gazette Journal about how the Venetian in Las Vegas is preparing for reopening when that gets the green light, which Las Vegas still doesn't have a green light as we're speaking now. So one of the technologies they're going to employ is thermal screening of every single individual, both customer and employee, who would want to walk into the Venetian. What is thermal screening? It's cameras that take the temperature instantly of every single person who would start to walk into the casino. Anybody who has a temperature above the trigger that freaks people out with coronavirus, 100.4 Fahrenheit, will be stopped. They will be uh, taken for a medical assessment. And if they are not someone who's A-OK, they're not going to be allowed in. And there's going to be a large staff of people on duty around the clock seven days a week to make sure that people are being properly screened before they enter. Next thing is they're using special robotic kind of disinfectants that'll be used in off-peak hours throughout the casino, every place you could think of in the casino. They're also going to de decontaminate every shipment 
that comes in to the casino. And there are other steps they're taking, but the point is that one of the things we have to look at with coronavirus, how do we restore and maintain public confidence? You know, we have a problem. We we have been kind of behind on putting in the protocols in place that have helped reduce the infections and deaths in other countries in the world. But at the same time, we have to get our economies moving again because the destruction to our economy gets worse and worse every additional week. But this is a fact. We're 4% of the world's population, and we're more than 25% of the fatalities from coronavirus. So we are going to have to implement various procedures that put us in a position where we reduce the spread moving forward and we are more aware when there is an outbreak. That's why having a coordinated policy across the country for testing, tracing, isolating, and treating is going to be key to us managing coronavirus, getting the economy functioning more and more, getting people confident to go out and about, and at the same time, avoiding having a spike in deaths because we haven't had our act together. Now, different retailers are doing different strategies. Costco is requiring that everybody has to wear a mask. Starting on the 4th of May, they're going to be running normal hours in the stores, but everybody but little infants in arms are going to have to wear a mask. There's also special hours for those 60 and over. It's 9 to 10 Monday through Friday. Anybody with a disability will be allowed as well. You can't bring any guests with you, and you got to wear the mask. In the store, there are going to be monitors making sure at every Costco that people are keeping safe distance from each other. And there are people who have gone bananas, berserk, over Costco requiring face coverings. I don't get it, but there are people who say they're turning in their membership card, they're never shopping there again, blah, 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 blah. The reality is people feel more safe when they see that others are responding in ways that, that make everybody feel like people are doing what they can in order to see that we reduce the spread of coronavirus. Now, we're alternating asking your questions on the show that you have posted for me at clark.com slash ask. And Kim, who do you have a question from? Actually, Joel's up right now. Hi, Joel. Hey, Clark. Sorry I dissed you. No worries. Hey, you just talked about Vegas and KC wanted to give a comment. He says, I had two flights to Vegas for May before all this virus mayhem. I was going to take a credit, but I figured I would wait to see if they would cancel so I could get a full refund instead. After changing the flight several times, they finally canceled it and offered a credit plus 50 bucks or a refund. I requested a refund, got it in four days. Just want to let you know this was Spirit Airlines, and some companies do seem to be doing it right, at least in this case. So, And keep up the great work. Well, thank you for that uh, feedback. You know, I was just reading a new report yesterday that one U.S. airline continues to outshine everybody else in treating their customers like dirt. 
and that's United Airlines that continues to be defiant of federal law and is still refusing to make refunds. And when finally they bend and make a refund, they slow walk them. And this is inexcusable behavior. I don't know if you remember me telling you that when the relief package was being debated in the Congress, originally there was language in it that would require that airlines expeditiously refund people's tickets. That language was removed mysteriously at the very end, right when that was voted on. And so even though the law requires these refunds, the law already in place, United feels like they got a green light from the Congress to pretend to be above the laws of the United States of America. And it's good to see that other airlines struggling with coronavirus are making refunds as they're supposed to. Kim? Randy says, call me crazy, but I'd like to return my stimulus money. My wife and I are still receiving our monthly wages from our employer in addition to my social security. If it's not refundable, are we able to decline any future stimulus funds? No procedure in place for that. The money you've already received, give to charity. I mean, if, you, if you're in a position where you are working, everything's great, it's money you feel is more helpful somewhere else, then you don't even have to give it to a traditional charity. You can give the money to any friend you know or family member who's unemployed, who's struggling financially, just give them that money. And uh, that is one of the ways you can make something good come out of something you don't need in your life. I love the generous spirit you have. It could be to buy safety supplies for people like I was talking about just a few minutes ago. Whatever it is that would bring you joy to use your $1,200 for, use it. As far as additional helicopter money, it is unclear at this time if there is going to be additional helicopter money and There's a lot of disagreement in Washington about whether to do any more helicopter money. And until there's consensus, that's not going to happen. Joel? Clark T. wrote in, said, on March 23rd, the S&P 500 was at about $2,300. And to avoid further losses, my husband cashed out the 401k and other retirement accounts, leaving money in the account, of course, though. Looks like the market is going up, though. It's closer to 2900 right now. So first question, is this real scenario with the economy, or or is the market going to experience further losses? Is it going to tank? And second, what's the strategy to get back into the market? So it's impossible to time the market. Um, I do believe that we're likely to have another decline in stock values, but I don't have to be right about that. But I'm looking at historical measures when you look at how companies are reporting lower profits or, in fact, reporting losses. Stock prices are a reflection of the earnings that companies have eventually. And so this relief rally that took uh, the index from 2300 to 2900 a gain of, I think, 18%, something like that. Is my number right? Anyway, no, it would be higher than that. Uh, but the point is that A relief rally is not an indicator that things are going to stay 
at these values. So what I would do, since you were nervous, pulled money, all the money out, is I would go back in slowly. And I would set up where every month over the next, let's say, six months, you put in the money in pretty much equal dollar amounts back into the investments that were stock-based that you had prior to the time that you sold out your shares. And so don't jump in all at once because if you had an emotional reaction that caused you to sell, I wouldn't want you to pop everything back in all at once and then suddenly there's a market decline and you're like, oh no, what did I do again? So if you do it in a methodical way every 30 days in equal chunks, I think it will be an easier ride for you. Kim? Diana wants to know, where is the most reliable place to buy a used cell phone? So I don't know that there's any one place that I would say is the most reliable. Um, One of the biggest sellers of used cell phones is Woot, which is Amazon's discount outlet. And they sell a huge number of refurbished phones, both iPhones and Androids. If you're an iPhone person, I don't know how much you're willing to spend, but the brand new iPhone SE at $399 is getting phenomenal reviews from tech writers. On the other hand, if you're into Android versus buying used, the new Moto G Power is getting rave reviews, I mean extreme reviews, as the greatest phone value ever in cell phones and tends to cost street price $249. On the other hand, you can buy used Androids for as little as $50 or $60 on eBay and used iPhones of various models starting at about $100 on eBay. And I can't guarantee they're going to be reliable, but many of the sellers will give you a 90-day or 30-day right to return for a full refund. Joel? Clark Kim said, you recently suggested getting another credit card due to credit card companies cutting limits on current cards. I'm interested in purchasing my first home sometime later this year or early next year. So how long would that ding from getting this new card last and impact my credit score? What a brilliant question. You don't want to get any kind of new credit, a new car loan, credit card, anything like that within six months of when you plan to buy a home and are taking out a mortgage. So if your window is more than six months, go ahead and do another credit card application. On the other hand, if it could end up possibly being less than six months, Ignore my advice about credit cards. Don't do that credit application. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget. 
giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. If you have a question for me, go to Clark.com slash ask and post it. And producers Kim and Joel are alternating asking your questions for you. And Kim, who do you have a question from? This is from Doug. He says, my daughter is eight and we have saved about $4,000 for her in a savings account. My wife works at a private university that provides free tuition for dependents. Should we still start a 529 plan or place the money somewhere else? That's a wonderful question. So, Doug, I imagine in addition to tuition, there will be other eligible expenses that you could use the 529 plan money for. So you could use it for housing. You could use it for books. Uh, There are a variety of eligible expenses that go outside the box of tuition. So unless your daughter would be going to a school that's local, that would be living, she'd be living at home with you and would not have many of those other eligible expenses, I would say doing the 529 account still is a valid and good idea. On the other hand, if she would be a commuter, doesn't have any of those expenses, the 4000 if it's for long-term needs for your daughter, I would like for you to look at putting that money in a total stock market index fund. You can buy one of those from Fidelity Investments. They have no fees to buy and no ongoing expenses, so it's truly free investing. Joel? Clark David says, I've been seeking employment. I've got my resume on the major job-seeking websites. I began to get calls and emails yesterday offering a contract job for one of the grocery delivery service companies, but the name of the company was misspelled. So what do I need to know to keep from getting scammed and to accept legitimate job offers instead of, yeah, getting taken advantage of? That is fantastic that you noticed that. So anytime somebody responds to you and says, yeah, we'd be interested in an application from you, don't respond to a link in that email you receive or that notice you receive from a job posting site. Go instead to their own website and go to where you put in an application directly on their own site where you type that company's name in your browser so that you end up at the real business instead of somebody who's a pretender who really is just after trying to get your personal information to engage in identity theft or financial theft from you. And again, good eyes that you noticed it was a fake response. The podcast normally would end here, but because of the unusual circumstances we're in, we have additional content that we recorded earlier today that I'd like you to have access to. And this will continue day by day as long as the events warrant. So there was a a series of headlines that air travel suddenly had doubled. The number of people flying in the last two weeks had gone way up. Well, that headline was true but misleading. Air travel is down by massive amounts. 
somewhere between 95 and 99 percent, depending on the airline. And it's from an extremely low base that anybody's flying. Uh, flight attendants are terrified that they are going to get sick with coronavirus and they're going to die potentially as a result. And flight attendants have asked through their unions that all leisure travel be banned in the United States. Now, what I think is more practical is that airlines need to institute very clearly defined and clearly understood safety procedures for customers, some airlines call them passengers, and create an environment that makes it as safe as humanly possible for workers. JetBlue has taken a step in that direction by requiring that all customers wear masks. And this is a step that has been done in Asia for a long, long, long time. I remember the first time I was flying in Asia decades ago, and I saw passengers on a plane wearing masks. I was like, what is going on? What should I be doing? Should I be doing this? But it can be much more involved than that. Uh, JetBlue isn't providing the masks. I mean, if you're going to require people to wear them, I think that airlines should require that of both employees and customers. The way people are seated on a plane to create as much space between passengers as practical. And I think it's perfectly reasonable to use these ultra-high-speed thermometers to take people's temperatures before they're able to board an airplane so that you don't put people in too tight quarters who are carrying a fever with who knows what illness they have. I mean, it could be coronavirus or something else. You don't want people on the germ tube who are already ill and can potentially infect other people. I think that, that there's obvious common sense in what you do to make things safer for people. You know, there was an American Airlines flight that got enormous media coverage that the airline did nothing to create space between people, nothing at all to see that they were creating a safe environment for employees or customers. And this is inexcusable at a time where a lot of what we need to do is obvious in order to protect both employees and customers. But shutting down air travel makes no sense to me. And here's something else I wanted to talk about today. So my son, who's 14, and I play basketball every afternoon. We have a basketball goal by our garage and we go out and shoot baskets, usually about 45 minutes to an hour or so a day. And out of nowhere, he says to me, Dad, is this really a great time for people to be buying individual stocks? He and I never talk about stocks. Then I remembered he spends an enormous amount of time on Reddit. And a lot of the people on Reddit are typically guys, and they tend to be in their 20s and 30s. And so he's seeing all these posts about something I've been reading about, about how people in their 20s particularly are very heavily speculating on stocks right now. And 
this is something that is possible because trading is now free. So you can say, hey, I want to buy this today and I buy that tomorrow and whatever, scrape together whatever money I can buy. I can even buy partial shares in a company because when things do clear with coronavirus, there's going to be this huge return in the market and I want to be in it. So the thing is, the most important thing is time in the market more than anything else. So uh, Chuck Schwab, one of the smartest investing minds in the history of investing, has a simple philosophy, and it's called At Schwab Core and Explore. And whether you're 22, 32, 42, 102, Core and Explore is key. The idea is that you start with widely diversified investing that's dull. Dull. I'm dull. I invest in a dull way, and it's ultimately the core to how you create financial security is that you take a big chunk of money. It can be your 401k if you have one. It can be your Roth IRA, and you put money into something that spreads your money across types of investments and thousands of companies. Target Retirement Fund will do that. You can do the stocks through a total stock market index fund. They cost virtually nothing. You buy them commission-free. You own them for years, and they provide the core of what creates financial security for you. The Explore is the edge of that. If you, because of coronavirus, believe there's going to be opportunities for a big score in a particular company or a particular industry, go for it. But one thing that really distressed me last week was reading how many people in their 20s had gotten fired up in buying into oil because they've decided that the oil industry has been so beat up that it's going to be an industry that's going to have massive returns when the economy recovers. Could, but there are a lot of reasons to believe that's not going to happen. And betting on individual oil companies that have been beaten up is a very high-risk thing right now. So that's why you don't bet the farm. You start with the idea of what are you trying to accomplish. For most of us, what you're trying to do is you're trying to create real financial security going forward, either for a specific goal you hope to achieve in uh, seven or more years, or specifically putting money aside for retirement. And that's where dull is required. Not even recommended, it's required in the Clark Howard School. But on the other hand, you have extra money, that you want to take a chance with things, even one of those oil stocks, do it. Go for it. But remember, that needs to be the play money, not the real money. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.